We are continuing in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Ryan Lockwa is our reader, so come on up here, Ryan. And the amazing thing about the Bible is that it speaks to everybody from all levels. If you're really young or you're much older, if you're a brand new Christian, or if you're not a Christian, or you've been a Christian for 40 years, there's something for everybody. You know, it doesn't apply that way with every other topic. For example, if, if uh, someone got up here and taught calculus, some of y'all would get that, because I know there's some smart people in the room, and then me and a bunch of us, or the rest of us would be like, what? <laughs> we have, we'd have no clue. But I want to encourage you this morning to open your heart, open your mind, and be prepared to learn something about Jesus, because he's more important than anybody else in this room. And he really is not just some legend of history. He is alive and real, and he wants to have a relationship with you. So uh, welcome this morning, Ryan. We're glad you're here to read the scripture for us. Here's a microphone for you. All right. right. And it'll be on the screen right there in front of you. There you go. Get us started there. So Mark 9. Mm -hmm. Hold it close. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd among them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. So this, this is an incredible passage, and I'm sure many of you, like me, have read this tons of times, and I, 
I am just amazed each week when I'm studying these things how God just keeps showing different things through the scripture about there's like a hidden meaning that, and it's not just on a mysterious level, but Jesus shows you where, where it's hidden. So it, otherwise we wouldn't understand it. But uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now because this is such an amazing passage. I hope that you get half of it that I got this week preparing for it. So let's pray. Father, this morning we pray that you would give to us what we do not have that you would make us what we are not, and that you would change us into the image of Jesus Christ by studying him and beholding his beauty this morning and the miraculous power that he has, not just then, but even today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, anybody know what one of these is? What, what is this? They used to call them magic eye, yes. And you know what? How many of you could look at these and see the, the, the hidden picture in them? My hand doesn't need to be up. I can, I can, to this day, I cannot see what people are talking about. And they used to have a store at the Galleria Mall in Houston where they sold a whole gallery. They had a whole gallery full of these. You could buy them. And everybody's looking at it. Oh, there it is. It's there it is. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm brain dead or what's going on. I, and this one is supposed to have a dinosaur in it. If you stare long enough, there's supposed to be a dinosaur somewhere. And this one right here, if you look at it long enough, there's supposed to be a, a dolphins in it. And I'm like, I still can't see it. I never could. I'm thankfully for those of you who can see these things. Maybe someday when I go to heaven, I'll be able to see the, the magic eye pictures. But this passage of scripture is kind of like this. If you study it and stare at it long enough, you will see the story that comes through. But again, it's not just because it's some mystical thing. It's because Jesus has purposely embedded to use a, uh, a computer language word, he has embedded a story in the story, okay? So, uh, Jesus heals this demon-possessed boy, and this is the second time that it records a miracle that Jesus does in two stages. All the other miracles, Jesus says, you know, blind man see, boom, they see, you know? Storm, be gone, it's gone. But twice now in Mark, he has these two-stage miracles, and that right there is a clue because the last time he did a two-step miracle, there was a story embedded, a meaning embedded in. So that's a clue for it. So there's three things we're going to cover this morning. Number one, we're going to talk about the details of the miracle. Then we're going to talk about the teaching in the, that's embedded in the miracle. And then we're going to talk about the miracle of salvation. So that's the three things we're going to cover quickly this morning. So, what just happened last week? A big event called the, what? Transfiguration. The Transfiguration. It's where Jesus gave them like a sneak preview of heaven and of the kingdom to come. And so, it was very symbolic. Like Moses went up the mountain and he came down glowing. Remember that? Because he had been with God. And Jesus goes up the mountain, and he's glowing because he is God. And we'll talk about some of those parallels. But the they in this passage is Jesus, of course. But who did he take up the mountain with him for the transfiguration? The inner circle. Who are the inner circle? Peter, James, and John. So four of them are coming down, Jesus and three disciples. So how many disciples are left down below? There's nine. So these nine are the ones that's arguing with the crowd. The nine are the ones who tried to cast out a demon out of this boy and could not. So the nine are left behind, and here comes Jesus and the other three. And it says, and they came to the disciples, and they saw a great crowd around, and scribes, who were the religious people, arguing with them. And by the way, if, if you're new to Christianity, or you don't know much about Christianity, Jesus' biggest beef is with religious people. 
So if you have a problem with organized religion, and you have a problem with a lot of phony preachers and a lot of phony religion, great. You keep that problem, okay? Because I have a problem with it too, because Jesus had a problem with it. Think about this for just a second. If I had a, a diamond, let's just say I had one of the world's largest diamonds right here in my hands, and it was worth $450 million. And I said, I'm going to give this diamond to someone. I'm going to give it away, and one of you is going to be the lucky winner of this diamond. So here's what we need to do. Everybody go outside onto the parking lot. I'm going to hide that diamond somewhere in this building. I'm probably going to stick it here in Lauren's guitar, just in that hole right there, you know, or something like that. And uh, everybody go outside. And then I said, okay, on your marks, set, go. And everybody runs in here. How long would it take to, for this many people to find a $450 million diamond? Not very long. You guys would be ripping this place apart. You wouldn't care. You're like, I don't care. I'm going to rip the speakers open because I'll just replace it when I find it, you know. And eventually, maybe 10 minutes, maybe even an hour at the most, that diamond is going to be found because I am guarantee it's in this building somewhere. And so everybody's going to be looking for it. Now, if I took that same diamond, I just set it right in the middle of the floor, and then I filled this room up two feet deep with cubic zirconia, all the same size, and it's like the good stuff. It looks exactly like the diamond. And then I said, okay, go look for the diamond. You guys be like, how do we know which one? Unless you're a diamond expert, you're probably not going to know. And here's what all the different reactions are going to be. Some people are like, you know what, I, have, I like this one. This one works for me. You have your diamond, I have my diamond. I'm going to go home with this one because I think this is, this is a good one. But, you know, they're, maybe they're all good. Maybe they're all perfect, you know. And then some people would be like this way, they're all fake. I ain't wasting my time. And they're going to go get in their car and they're going to leave. Okay? Do you know that's exactly what Satan has done? He can't hide the real diamond. So what he does, he buries us in fakes. And that's, just, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said in the last days, there will be all kinds of people claiming to say, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. And, and Jesus said, there's going to be many false prophets, not, not just a few, many. And he said, by their fruit, you'll know them. And that's why, you know, you see these people proclaim to be the spokesmen for Jesus, but then they get in their private multi-million dollar jet and fly off into their mansion you know, and then they find out we have to have some immoral lifestyle going on, all that stuff. It's, yeah, of course, they're, they're fake. And they're, Satan, it's, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says Satan has many ministers of light. There's all kinds of out, people out there preaching the Bible who are fake. Now, I'm not trying to sound like a cult, like we're the only ones. We're not. There's many good Bible-believing churches as well. Many, many of them, okay? And I recommend a lot of them to you often. I, I say, hey, listen to this guy. Read this guy. But there's also, I have to warn you against so many that are preaching a false gospel. So don't get discouraged by that and think that all religion, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as Grandma used to say. Be diligent, study, and, and have your brain checked, you know, plugged in so you can understand what is the true teachings of Jesus Christ. And don't be discouraged by all the fakes. These scribes were arguing with Jesus' disciples because they were a bunch of religious phonies. Um, the next verse, it says, and immediately, again, Mark's favorite word, 41 times in this short gospel, immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. The word is awestruck. Their jaws dropped because at this time, this is the peak of Jesus' ministry. He is the miracle man. But what's going to happen after this is you'll see the miracles slow down a ton and it really gets to focus on, on teaching. But they all ran up to him and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, you're awesome. You know, you're amazing. And they greeted him. 
And he asked them, well, what, what are you arguing about with them? Okay? And so he's asking the disciples, what are you arguing about with the scribes? Because that's who the arguments. And, he asked, and he's saying this aloud to the crowd. And someone from the crowd answered him, saying, teacher. So you notice he asked the disciple and the scribes, what are you arguing about? But they don't answer. The disciples don't answer because they're probably embarrassed because why? Why? They couldn't cast out the demon out of the possessed boy. The scribes aren't going to answer Jesus because they want to take on his dumb disciples, but they're not going to take on the chosen three, and they're not going to take on Jesus, okay? And so they're, they're like, their hands are in their pockets and their heads are hanging. So, so finally someone from the crowd answers them, said, Teacher, I brought my son to you because I thought you'd be here with the disciples, but you're up on the mountain. But, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, notice that all the father says he makes him mute. That's an important detail. We'll, we'll talk about more in just a little bit. In Luke, it gives us more details about this same story. He says, Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. That's also an important detail to tuck away. Matthew tells us some other details about it. It says, Not only did he come to him, so Lord, I beg you, it says he's kneeling before him. So this guy shows desperation. Have you ever been in that situation? You ever been desperate for help? Desperate for God's help? Well, he comes to the right person. He comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures. There's another detail, okay? And so it's like we're getting clues from all these four different accounts, and this is what happens in a good courtroom. You interview many witnesses to put the whole story together, and it says he suffers terribly. And it says that whenever it seizes him, back to our passage here, Mark 9, it throws him down. This word throws, we could translate it slams. Okay? This boy is, is not just falling down easily to the ground. He is being slammed to the ground by this demon. And this is resulting probably in concussions. And this would explain all the other symptoms this boy is having. You know, his body is stiffened up, he's rigid, he's having seizures. And so all this is working together. There's, there's lots of physical ailments, but there's a spiritual ailment. Now, we um, we think that people back then were so superstitious that they blamed every disease or every sickness on a demon. And there's people who still do that today. And they, they, they blamed everything on the devil and everything on spiritual. And then we think that we're so sophisticated and we're so scientific today that there's no spiritual problems. It's all, all physical. And what the Bible clearly teaches is it's both. In fact, the Bible will separate people who are demon-possessed from those who have physical ailments, and sometimes it talks about how the spiritual causes the physical ailments, and sometimes it doesn't. It, and it says it's not always the same. And we need a balanced perspective on that. We cannot deny that there's demonic forces in the world today. There's, there's just way too many evil things going on for just to be people only. People can be pretty evil. But we don't want to totally blame everything on the devil, but we don't want to go to the other extreme where they're saying there's no supernatural and there's no demonic. Now, you say, well, why haven't, why haven't I seen it? Well, here's my theory, okay? And this is just my opinion. Say, this is his opinion, okay? This is my opinion, okay? I believe in other parts of the world where people believe in the supernatural, then say, it's like, okay, I know you know I'm here, so here, I'm going to show myself here, okay? But in our Western world, in America, we're the minority compared to the rest of the planet because we think we're so smart. We don't believe in that supernatural stuff. That's just stupid, you know? So Satan's like, okay, great. Keep believing that. I'm just going to hide over here, and I'm going to do all kinds of stuff. The same things I'm doing over in the other countries, but I'm not going to make myself so obvious because if you don't think I'm here, I've got an advantage. 
And so Satan makes himself less obvious. And there, believe me, there's a whole lot more demonic going on in America than there's many parts of the world. Okay? It's just because we don't believe in the supernatural, Satan says, okay, great, you keep believing that, and I can get even more done behind the scenes because you don't even think I'm around. So it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. This is, this is describing the seizure that Matthew says he has. He says, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now think about that. Just a few chapters ago, Jesus sent out 70, two by two, and it says they cast out many demons. So it's not like they could not because they haven't done it before. They have been doing it, and they were even excited about how much they did it, but all of a sudden now they can't because something is different with this one. And he answered them, and I believe he's talking to the disciples. He could be talking to the crowd, but I think he's talking to the disciples here. He said, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And I don't think Jesus is sinning here, but I think he's having, un, I think he's having holy impatience here. <laughs> like, man, you guys, how much do I have to put up with you? And uh, watch the parallel here. Remember last week we learned about hyperlinks, okay, which is using, again, a, a, a technology term, but they're all, you know, the Old Testament is 39 books. The New Testament is 27 much shorter books. If you look at your Bible and you open up the division between Old and New Testament. you got this much Old Testament, this much New Testament. It's because the New Testament is basically Wikipedia. It's full of hyperlinks, full, send you all back to all this other information on the web. And so the New Testament is, could be this big, but because it's so many full of hyperlinks of material, it can condense it down. That's what a hyperlink is. So the, the New Testament is very condensed, but it's ex overwhelming amount of, of information, but again, it's all hyperlinked. But watch the parallels here. Jesus says this, you know, how long am I to be with you? Okay? And so watch this here. So Moses went up a high mountain and he met with God. He experienced the glory of God. He receives the commandments and he comes down the mountain to a faithless people caught in idolatry. What were they doing? They had formed a golden calf and were worshiping it. Remember that story? Well, watch this. This is exactly what this, this Mark is describing here. Jesus went up a high mountain, and he doesn't just meet with God. He reveals that he is God. He shines with the glory of God. He's transfigured, and he comes down the mountain to what? A faithless people caught up in idolatry, but this time it's not a golden calf. It's the religion that they had formed, and Jesus hates that religion. But you see the parallel between Moses and Jesus going up the mountain, coming down the mountain, and encountering faithless people. Now, in Numbers 14.11, Jesus is basically hyperlinking to this passage here. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, who's speaking here? The Lord is speaking to Moses. And what does he say? How long will those people despise me? How long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I've done? So Jesus is Jehovah in the Old Testament, speaking to Israel, saying, How long? How long? And then here he is, with this people saying, how long, how long? Do you see the parallels here? Do you see the hyperlinks between the two? Look, compare the two passages right here when Jesus is saying all that. These are the kind of things we need to see when we're studying the Bible. We need to remember all the Old Testament stories and look and see where is the hyperlink here. So Jesus, after says all that, says, bring them to me, which is really what you need. You know, I... I I'm glad to be available to people when you're going through difficult times. I do some counseling. I like to pray with people. I do all that stuff. And I, and I want you to continue to do that. 
But ultimately, when you come to me, I'm going to take you by the hand and take you to Jesus. Because he's the one that really has the answers for your marriage problem, for your financial problems, for your cancer, for whatever it is. He's the one. So I'm not saying don't utilize your pastor. I want to be there to help you. I want to be the one to go arm in arm with you to Jesus. But ultimately, all, all problems need to come to Christ. And so, so they brought the boy to him. Seven times in the Gospels, it talks about people being brought to Jesus. Remember the man on the bed, and they, they brought him to Jesus, and they lowered him through the roof, and then they brought the, the blind man to Jesus, and over and over again, seven times, which I like that number there, you see people being brought to Jesus, and that, that's exciting, because your mission in life is to bring people to Jesus. It's not Pastor Stan's job, it's not Pastor Gary's job, it's not just the elder's job or some certain key ladies in the church. Raise your hand if it's your job. Yeah, it's all, of our, it's all of our job to bring people to Jesus. And you say, Gary, that's kind of challenging. That's, that's kind of, I don't know if I can do that. You could do things as simple as invite people to church. You could do something as simple as just share something, what Jesus has done for you, you know. And as you get better at it, you should be able to open the Bible and show them what salvation means. But we'll talk about more of that in a little bit. But this, it says... Um, it says, and when the spirit saw him. So this, there's a demon spirit in this boy. And it says, when he saw him, immediately, again, there's that word that Mark likes to use, it convulsed the boy. Now watch this. It sees Jesus, so it attacks the boy. Okay? Say, the demon can't do anything to Jesus. But it's going to take out its anger. It's going to take out its fear. It's going to take out all the, the struggle it's having being in the presence of Jesus on the boy. And maybe he's going to do one last chance to try to kill the boy because that's what the father said he was trying to do, that he's trying to destroy him. And it says, and he fell on the ground. And again, the word here means to be slammed to the ground. And he rolled about, fell with the mouth. So again, the seizures come into play. So imagine from childhood, and we're t- the word childhood, the Greek word is technon, means a toddler. So from like 18 months, two years old, to now he's a boy, which means it didn't use the word for man, you know, which from 13 and up they use the word for that. The Greek word here means like approximately 10 or 11 years old. So from 2 to 10, approximately, these seizures have been slamming this kid to the ground. This, this is dangerous. Concussions, as we know now, we've learned in the last 10 years how dangerous they really are. You know, it used to be, Nathan, when you played high school football, you could have a concussion. The coach was like, get back out there. Tough it up. Let's go, you know. And now they have the concussion protocol. They put you in the tent. And it's like, uh-oh, your, eye, your, eyelids, your um, eyes are dilated. You're out of the game. Because concussions can have serious ramifications on the brain. So here's two different views of a brain. And, and the, the trauma on the brain before and after the concussion you can see, obviously, is off the charts. You don't have to be a doctor to understand how much danger that a brain is put into. Imagine having these almost every day where the, these seizures are slamming the kid to the ground. This is what's causing all kinds of other issues. He's deaf and mute, and so maybe those were a result of it as well. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Now, does Jesus not know? I think Jesus probably does know. But I think what Jesus is doing, he's getting the Father to talk about this, to, to be able to vent his pain, to vent his suffering, and to explain what's going on. And he says it's been happening from childhood. In other words, for to- the word could be toddlerhood. And it says, and it is often cast them into the fire and into the water. Now, in, the, in biblical days, there were open fires going on everywhere. 
People cooked with it. People would go keep themselves warm by it. You know, we, we saw Peter was warming himself by an open fire while Jesus was being tortured. We see open fires were everywhere, and so you kind of kept your kids away from it. We wouldn't do it today because it wouldn't, you know, that the, uh, we're just not, we're more safety conscious then. But this demon would try to cast the child into the fire, and there was wells everywhere, so he's trying to catch, cast the demon into bodies of water, into wells, trying to drown the kid, the demon is. And he, and then he says something really interesting. If you can do anything, <laughs> if, <laughs> it's kind of a strange question. I guess he, he maybe has heard about Jesus, doesn't know much about him, but now he's desperate and he wants to, to see him healed. And he says, well, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And you see that word, and I'm so glad it's there, the word compassion over and over again in the Gospels about what Jesus felt for other people. The Greek word is splankna, which means like, something deep down in your guts. You know, have you ever been so troubled by some body situation it almost makes you feel ill, you know? And, and you, just, you just feel like your wind is taken out of you and you just feel it deep down inside. This is what Jesus had for other people. And we live in a generation of people where, where people are not as compassionate as we should or could be. You know, we see people suffering and we kind of turn the other way and we go the other direction. We really don't want to be involved in that. And we kind of just try to stay away and we let, let the professionals ha- handle that, call 911, do something, but people aren't as likely to get involved. But Jesus always got involved. He had compassion. He had a heart that was tender towards those who were hurting. And that would include you and me. Lamentations 3 says, For the Lord will not cast us off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The reason... Jesus has compassion on you and feels compassion for me and feels compassion for this boy is because his love is not like ours. We love and then we're inconsistent. We're up, we're down. We're, we're, we're close, we're far away. You know, and you think you can count on people to be friends and maybe they're not there for you and maybe even sometimes you feel disappointed by a spouse or by a parent or by a sibling, but Jesus' love is steadfast. That means it never leaves you. He's always consistently there. And so the reason that we often feel disappointment by people is because God always wants the error to point back to him. Yeah, that's right. You can't count on him. Nope. You can't count on her. Nope. You can't even count on Gary. But guess what? You can count on me. I will always be there. I always will love you. And we're very thankful that the Lord's love is steadfast. But Jesus, now, in the Greek, they don't have exclamation points, and they don't have question marks. They don't have the same grammatical symbols we do. I've inserted these here. And some translations like, well, if you can believe, all things are possible. No, no, no. Jesus, they got it right here in this translation. It says, the guy says, well, if you can do anything, we would appreciate the help. And Jesus is like, what? If you can, if you can. And almost Jesus is like chuckling on the inside, like he doesn't obviously know who I am. And the it's interesting because this is a parallel to what happened several chapters ago in Mark chapter 1. A leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling and says, if you will, you can make me clean. This guy's like the totally opposite of this guy. The leper knows full well that Jesus can do it. It's just a matter of whether Jesus is willing to do it. So here's the, the contrast. The leper says, I know you're able, but are you willing? The father says, I know you're willing, but are you able? You see the, 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 the contrast here? And my question for you is, which one are you? 
You come to God with your problems. Do you say, Jesus, I know you're able. I just want your will to be done, not mine. Or do you be like, well, I don't know if even God can fix this. And we doubt God's capability in the situation. And we try to handle it ourselves. And maybe these exact words aren't in our brains or coming out of our mouths. But when we are confronted by a problem, and the first thing we do is start brainstorming how we're going to fix it. We're basically saying, I don't know if Jesus can, but I know I can. And we become our own God in that situation. And Jesus said to him, if you can, he says, all things are possible for those who believe. Now, we have to qualify all. Now, all things are possible for God, period. Okay? But when it comes to us, we try to claim verses that don't apply. Like, for example, we, if I said all things, okay, therefore, I can jump off a four-story building and land on the ground, I'll be fine, right? Is that what all means? No? It's not, and we, we want to claim all in ridiculous categories, but Jesus is saying the all applies to him, but the all in this situation means all according to his will. Let Scripture back this up for you. In 1 John 5, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, the confidence isn't toward us, it's towards him. That if we ask anything what? According to his will, he hears us. So all, thing within, all things within God's will. And God's will is broader than we want to think it is. We think God's will is only this or this, but there's God's will. So we don't ask God, we can't say all things are possible. Therefore, I'm going to name it and claim it that I'm going to be a millionaire by the end of 2023. Go ahead and claim that all day long, but if it's not God's will, it's not going to happen. So we have to do it according to his will. And of course, 1 John goes on to say, and if we keep his commandments, you can't live contrary to God's will and expect God's will to happen for your life. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Wow. I, I would love to meet this guy in heaven someday and just shake his hand for the, the brutal honesty. He's like, you know, I, I do believe, but there's parts of me that is really struggling, Jesus. There's parts of me that I, I do have doubts. I really don't know who you are. Or I don't know what you're able to do. I've been living with this kid so long in this condition, I have pretty much have given up hope. And he's being brutally honest. The great thing is, if you have doubts, Jesus can help you. And just be honest about your doubts. You know, we, you know, many of us have grown up in church where you had to act like you're perfect and you never could have doubts or have confusion in your life. Let me tell you, I don't want to be that church. I, I want you to bring your doubts to church. I want you to, to just have honest, open questions about what's going on in your life. Maybe you're struggling with things. Maybe you're not even sure if Christianity is right or real. You're hearing so much from school teachers and from college professors. They're telling you it's not, and it's a bunch of book, it's a book of myths and legends, and you can't trust you know, religious people and all that stuff. And again, I'm with you on that. But... There, there's a different way of processing this. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just doubt your faith or even doubt Jesus, but I want you to also doubt your doubts. And that's something that Tim Keller said. You know, we will put the Bible under a microscope looking for all kinds of errors and, oh, there's contradictions. And we will put other Christians under a microscope and say, ah, see, they did that, they did that. But I want you to take your doubts and put them under the microscope and examine them just as deeply. Just to be fair. Yes, be critical about the Bible, that's fine. You can be critical about God and religion and religious people, but also be critical about your doubts. And here's what I mean. What's your motive? Is there a reason that you're all of a sudden become skeptical? Is there a reason that you wanted this not to be true? Because if this is true, that means you're going to have to change your behavior and you really don't want to do that. 
You see, look at your doubts and see, do you have an ulterior motive? Do you have an agenda as to why you don't want it to be true and put them under the microscope as well? There was a great missionary a decade ago, I mean, decades ago named Leslie Newbegin. He was a missionary to South India. And I don't really like to do long quotes, but I can't say it better than he can. He said, have you ever noticed that the phrases in our culture favor doubt over faith? When we speak of honest doubts and blind faith. Doubts get, are called honest, but faith is called blind. Can't faith and doubt be honest or blind? Belief is often spoken of as an inferior to science or objective truth. But the reality is, one does not learn anything except by believing something. And conversely, if one doubts everything, one learns nothing. On the other hand, believing everything uncritically is the road to disaster. We're not asking you to have blind faith, in other words. The faculty of doubt is essential. But as I've argued, rational doubt always rests on faith, not vice versa. The relationship between the two cannot be reversed. So we're encouraging here at Revolution Church that don't check your brain at the door. We are not asking anyone to have blind faith. We believe science and the Bible go hand in hand. We believe the Bible is very scientific. You know, people for thousands of years thought the earth was flat. The Bible said thousands of years before that that God created the earth as a circle. It's in the Bible in several passages. And, and yet people, if they just read their Bible, in fact, uh, Galileo, well, the explorer, had the idea that the earth was round as well as Columbus because the Bible said so. And that's why they thought if we sail to the edge, we're not going to fall off the edge of the world like all the other explorers said. We believe because the Bible says it's a circle, we'll just keep going around to India. Of course, they didn't know the Western Hemisphere was here. But the Bible says all kinds of scientific things that people are just now understanding. Um, for example, in Deuteronomy, it says several times that the, the, the life, the code for life is in the blood. We didn't even know what blood did for thousands of years. It was only like 120 years ago that we realized that every, everything about your DNA and your composition is in your blood. The whole roadmap for life is in your blood. Anyway, the Bible is very scientific, and we're not asking people to believe blind, anything blindly. Um, back to our passage here, Mark 9, 25, it says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, they rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, The mute and deaf. So Jesus adds a point that he's deaf, He's not only doesn't talk, it's because he not talk because he doesn't hear. So Jesus diagnoses his situation even better than the Father did. He says, I command you, come out of him, and never enter him again. What else is unique about this miracle is, whenever Jesus did any miracles on anybody, it doesn't mean they never got sick again. That illness was gone. But sometimes in demon-possessed things, they could actually come back. Let me just back that up with scripture here. In Matthew 14, it says, And when unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So someone has one demon, it leaves, but then seven more come back. And of course, the, the application there is when someone just tries to clean up their life on their own, then things actually get worse, not better. But what he's saying is when a demon leaves, it doesn't mean it never comes back. But in this situation, Jesus commands that the demon would never come back and guarantees it. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that at the end. And, it said, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly. So notice what happened here. Every other time that Jesus did a healing, as I mentioned before, instant. But here Jesus does it in two stages. He commands it, but he allows a little struggle 
The demon's crying out. He's convulsing the boy terribly. There's one last seizure. Maybe this is one last attempt to kill the boy, which he's been trying to do but not successful. And says so they came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. So Jesus commands the demon to come out and they think, oh man, the demon succeeded. The kid died. So you can imagine the... And there's shock. And, and there's a large crowd there, hundreds, maybe a thousand people all know, and we don't know. But the majority of them think, he just killed him. Either the demon killed him or Jesus killed him, and, and, and the boy is dead. Again, there's a, a, there's a meaning here Jesus is going to teach us about here in a second. So, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That word's important. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Give, give you a little hint here, Easter. And when he had entered the house, we don't know what house this is, but maybe we can get a clue from, from Luke. It says, while he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and he convulsed him. Same, same story. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. So he, they, after the healing, they go into a house. After healing, he gives him back to his father's. Let's put two and two together. I believe this is the father's house because they're not at near Peter's house, they're not any other disciples. They go into a house, and if he's given them back to his father, my, my speculation is, is it's the father's house. And so it says he enters into the house, and his disciples asked him privately. So they pull Jesus aside. They don't want to ask in front of the scribes because they're embarrassed. They don't want to ask in front of the crowd because, again, they're embarrassed and pride. But they say, Jesus, man, we've cast out demons before. What was going on with this one that we could not do it? And he said to the disciples, this kind, referring to this kind of demon, cannot be driven out by anything by but prayer. Now some of you may have a translation that says by prayer and fasting. And some translations leave out the and fasting. And this is not a contradiction, because we know in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what does fasting do? It makes our prayers laser focused. It's basically shutting down all of our, our desires, especially for food, and focusing on the spiritual, so it's mind over matter, and if you've fasted for any length of time, you know that your prayers become even more focused than before, and so what we believe is happening, uh, Jesus has taught about fasting, Paul has taught about fasting, all the disciples have taught about fasting, Daniel example, exemplified fasting in the Old Testament, we think what probably happened here is a scribe Oftentimes, scribes, when they're, when they're copying scripture, would add little notes off to the side, like to help you understand. And sometimes, over time, some of those notes would end up in the, in the passage, and they'd be in parentheses, and so, or in some type of brackets, they use something different than what we use. And so, this is not a contradiction, but we think it's probably scribal notes that are true. Jesus did teach about prayer and fasting, and so they're probably applying it to this situation. But whether it belongs there or not, it's no loss whether it's there or whether it's not, there's no contradiction here in the situation. So don't let that, that trouble you with that situation. There's lots of minor notations on that throughout our Bible. Um, so let me ask you a question. What challenge do you face right now? What challenge did you bring to church this morning that needs to be met with intensified prayer? You're like this father at your wit's end. This problem's been going on way too long, and you're just about like burnout out about it. What challenge do you have? Let me encourage you to stop getting advice from everybody else instead of prayer. Get advice, but stop trying to brainstorm on your own instead of prayer. Or stop trying to keep putting money on this problem instead of prayer. Pray. 
And, and uh, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of this service. We've done this before. We're going to do it again this morning. We're going to have a time for just dedicated time of prayer. And I want you to focus this morning more than ever before to just give God a chance. Maybe you're like this father, like, you know, I think I believe, but I really got some unbelief and I need help with it. I want you to be prepared to get, present that to the Lord today. It says, and they went on from there, and they passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Now, I don't think that anyone to know is applying to, oh, we're passing through Galilee. Shh. They've done that a, a hundred times before. I think the only thing I don't want them to know is what just happened. Because how many times did Jesus did perform a miracle and say, hey, but don't tell anyone. So I think that's what's happening here. And he says, here's the, the word for here means because the reason he doesn't want anyone to know is because he was teaching his disciples. So again, second time he had a miracle where it's two phases. The last time he did a two-phase miracle, he was teaching something. So that's our clue that once again, this isn't just a miracle, random miracle. I'm going to teach you. There's a, way, there's a reason I did this miracle the way that I did it. And that's what I want to teach you about. So, it's the teach a lesson in the two stages here. Let's get into that. So, he was teaching his disciples, here's what it was, four things, that the Son of Man, which is the title he gave to himself from the book of Daniel, talk about when God would come as the Messiah, he is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and what will they do to him? They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. So, Jesus is prophesying what's going to happen in the next couple months to him, that he who he claimed to be, will be delivered. In other words, someone they're going to come and take him. They will kill him, but he will rise again. So, now watch how this story of the boy teaches the gospel. And I believe that's what Jesus is clearly doing. You, you, you uh, follow this with him and see what you think. So the boy was his father's only son. Remember he said that? He said, this is my, my only child, and he's a boy, so he's his only son. The boy was innocently suffering because of the sins of others. Toddlers don't get demon-possessed because of something they've done. Toddlers don't mess with Ouija boards or pray for evil forces to help them. This, to this boy is suffering because all this evil was going around him, and he was the victim of this with the demon possession. The boy appeared to be killed by the demon and dead, appeared to be dead with no hope as he's laying there. And after appearing to be dead, the boy was raised up. And after being raised up, the son was returned to his father's house, and at least to return to his father. So they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to even ask him. So Jesus said, you know, I want to teach you about all this. And they're like, we don't, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. And previous to healing before this, they're like, they were troubled by what does he mean by raised from the dead? And they didn't know whether, is this another parable? Are we supposed to take this literally? They were very confused. But here's, here's the problem. They were afraid to ask. And, and there may be lots of things about the Bible that you don't understand. Please don't be afraid to ask. Find someone who knows the Bible. Find some, you can talk to me, talk to anyone. But actually more importantly than me or anyone who knows the Bible, ask God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, Then you will call upon me, and you will pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you, when you seek me with how much? All your heart. You've got to be honest about this. 
You can't say, okay, I want to go to God, but I've got these things over here. I don't want God touching these problems. That's not all your heart. You've got to come to God with all your heart. Doubt your doubts. Yeah, doubt your faith. Have these problems. Have these questions. But seek God with all your heart. And he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Do you see what Jesus did in that story there? Isn't that obviously talking about himself? You see, it's, it teaches the gospel because Jesus was God's only son. Jesus suffered innocently because of what has happened, what, because of our sins. Jesus appeared to be dead and gone with no hope, but Jesus on the third day rose again. And that's what Easter is all about. And then Jesus said, I ascend to my Father. John chapter 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to my Father to prepare a place for you. And if I go to him, I will come again to you and receive you into myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see what Jesus is teaching in this passage right here? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means you say, you're the boss. You're in control of my life. You created me for a purpose Help me live out that purpose. Be the Lord of my life. And I believe in my heart that you, you, were, you died, you were buried, and that God raised you again from the dead. If, and the Bible says if you will believe that, you will be saved. Are you getting what Jesus is teaching by this miracle here? He's teaching the gospel. He's teaching that he's the one who suffered innocently for your sins, and he wants you to give his life to him. To give your life to him. Let's pray. We are. Uh, we need to pray for each other all the time. And this is awesome. But throughout the week, you know, I, I'm guilty of my prayer request is God do this for me and God do this for me and do this for my wife, do this for my family. And I need to think outside my little circle. And, I, and then I often am convicted, oh yeah, that's right. And I start praying for many of you by name, but I need to think even inside this building. You know, there's a lost and dying world. There's people suffering right now. There's things, all kinds of stupid things happen all around the world where people are hurting and dying. And the great thing is God's on the throne. And he says, if you ask, you shall receive. So let's just keep asking throughout the week. But thank you for participating in that. Um, if you made a decision to trust Christ today, I mean, I'd love to hear from you. This is my cell phone. Please let me know. Um, we would like to follow up with you about that. We're going to do a question and answer session right now. Tori, would you come help me with that? That'd be great. And so you could text in your question. If you're watching online, there's my cell phone number. Text that right now. And, um, or if you're in the house, you can do that. If you, you can text it, even be anonymous if you'd like. Or you can raise your hand and, and ask questions however you like it there as well. Um, I think this first one's a prayer request. Here, we'll start with that one. In Luke 21, 10, 19, Jesus foretells wars and persecution. He says, this will be an opportunity to bear witness. Does this mean Christians will be present during this tribulation? Or is this passage referring to events prior to the period of tribulation? Are we already seeing these wars and persecution today? Um answer the last question first. What chapter was that again? In Luke 21. Luke 21. Okay. Because I want to make sure I understand the context. So there is a, 
when Jesus is prophesying this, there's a dual fulfillment because he tells them what's about to go down in 70 AD. And that's what, some of that is talking about things that will happen and that they'll be persecuted and flee to the hills. Now, I'm not a preterist. For those who know what that word means, you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's also the fulfillment later when in the end times, when he talks about wars and rumors of world wars and increases in earthquakes, which there have been, as long as we've been tracking earthquakes, you've seen a rapid uptick in earthquakes to where they're just a common phenom- ph- phenomena. Um, anyway, the Bible predicted all those things would happen. Um, so I, I don't know the exact answer for this, though. This will be one of those questions I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I'll have to go back and study it. But I do know leading up to the tribulation, there will be, there'll be things like birth pangs. You know, th- you know, it's like you have contractions, ladies, and then you have the actual birth. But so the birth is the, it would be like the tribulation, but the contractions leading up to that would be the signs there. So that's, what, that's, that's the, the metaphor that Jesus uses there. So the wars and rumors of wars lead up to the tribulation, but then they're full-blown during the tribulation. Okay? And yes, there are believers in the tribulation, not because they were left behind, because they got saved during the tribulation. Because there's a, uh, the two prophets, there's the angels that fly around the earth, and then there's 144,000 that become worldwide evangelists. And it says the number of people that get saved during that time are like the number of the sands of the sea. So that's a great revival breaks out, and then he's commanding them to comfort during those times. So I think it's both. I think it's us leading up to that time, and then those who get saved during the tribulation at, uh, comforting. Because what's interesting right now is uh, like we support missionaries um, over in the Middle East, that have been helping Syrian refugees. And they've been fleeing Syria as well as other countries that are war-torn. And like when they land on the shores of Greece, their Muslim friends aren't there to help them. It's Christians. Christians have blankets for them. They got food. They got water. They got medicine. And they're like, why are you doing this? We're Muslim. And they're like, because Jesus commanded us to love everyone, whether they believe like us or not. And they're like, well, where are my Muslim friends? We were told that if we came across here on a boat, we'd have Muslims who would help us. And they're like, and they don't say anything, but they just, their religion doesn't teach that like ours does. Our Savior had an example where he loved even those who were killing him. So, um, yeah, good. What other questions do we have? Um, I think there's other long ones of prayer requests, okay. which we can do another time. Um, All right, so, anybody in here have okay. a question? Raise your there's hand. There's two more. Okay, good. After the new kingdom is established, Will children who are under the age of accountability and unborn babies who are lost or aborted be among those who rule and reign the new generations? Um, yes, I believe so. I, so the, the age of accountability, the word is not in the Bible. It's just a label we put on it. And um, trying to give you a short answer here. So David had uh, you know, a, a, an affair with Bathsheba. A child was born, but then the child was very sick at birth. And so David fasted and wept and prayed that God would save the child. And God didn't. The child died. And so David stopped fasting and weeping and crying. And everybody's like, wow, he was all freaked out while the child was sick. Now the child's dead. He's acting normal. What's that about? And they asked him. And he said, well, there's nothing I can do. I can't bring the baby back to me. And he says, but I shall go to him. So that means the baby's in heaven. So, and based on that, that one thing right there alone, we believe that God is not going to hold a child responsible because in order to be saved, you have to be realize you, you, what you're being saved from. That's your own sin. You have to be cognitive that you are a sinner. You've done wrong. You feel guilty about it. 
two-year-olds don't feel that, okay? That's why they keep doing what they do. Um, so therefore, God doesn't hold them responsible until they are cognitive of their uh, sin and their need for a savior. And then their choice, that's, that's their choice. Where is the line in between faith and a call to action? Some say they will do nothing because they have faith. Some try to under their own strength. Yeah, and, and the answer, like your accountant will tell you, it just depends, okay? There's times that um, the, the, the Israelites came to the water and he said, just be still and I'll part the waters. There was another time they came to the water and he said, you need to step in first. And as you step in, the waters apart. Well, what changed? God just mixes it up. He, he does what he wants to do. There's times that he says, be still and know that I'm God. Don't do anything. Just be still and pray about it. And there's other times where he says, no, go, go do something. So you have to act in faith. You're praying all along, but it's never just prayer. Uh, I shouldn't say never. There's times when it's just prayer, but there's times where you pray and then you act. So you have to just, um, let me give you another example. Proverbs chapter 18. It says two verses back to back where he says, rebuke a fool lest you be like unto him. And then the very next verse says, don't rebuke a fool. Um, I'm sorry, rebuke not a fool lest you be like him. And the next verse says, rebuke a fool lest he be wise in his own conceit. So in other words, there's a time to tell someone, hey, you know what, that's actually not true. And there's another time to say, you know, okay, yeah. And just not just smile and wave and walk away, you know, because it just depends on the person. So every situation is different. Or sometimes you just say, you know what, God, there's nothing I can do about this. And I'm just going to pray and trust you for the outcome. In fact, you doing something might make it worse. And then there's other times you pray and say, God, I'm willing to do nothing, but if you show me what to do, I'll do it. And he does. So it, every situation depends. That was it. Okay, good. All right. Let's stand. In fact, Tori, since you're standing here, why don't you read this verse of scripture for us? And let's, let's stand and read it together with Tori as we're dismissed. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.